take a moment and pray with me and for me as we open God's word. Father, I just want to thank you that we are all gathered today in your presence. I pray that now that this would be of you and not me, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that this would fall on open ears and open hearts to be able to receive your word. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a lot of times when I stand up here and I'm, I feel like I'm an expert at something, not in reality. I know I'm not an expert in a lot of things, but I, I feel like I have a good grasp on this, like I practice it and I, and I try to do it and stuff. So I just want you to bear with me because I am a control freak. Nobody laughed at that. I am. I, I struggle with issues of control and wanting to have more control. And so this week um, has been kind of enlightening for me to see some of these things. So as we go through this, I speak to you as someone who's working through this, not as someone who has it all together. But that being said, there are some things in Scripture about people that do have it more together than me, and someone that has it all together. So we're going to be in the book of Genesis today, starting in chapter 37. And before we go there, I, I want to I read something to you. Now, either you say this every day, or you know someone else who says this every day. God... Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Does anybody know what that is? It's the Alcoholics Anonymous Serenity Prayer, taken from part of that. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Do you know that Alcoholics Anonymous was founded by Christian men seeking to help people that struggle with this? I wonder how often everyone should take a look at this. Because as I thought about change, and I, th or I thought about control this week, and I, and I looked at this, we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph. It so shines through that control is an issue that we all struggle with in one of two ways. And I'm going to tell you the first thing we struggle with. We struggle with things that are outside of our control that we want to control. That's the first thing. Second thing is we struggle with things that we can't control that are inside of our control. How messed up is that? We, both, we have it wrong on both accounts. But we're going to look at a story back in the Old Testament that shows us exactly what is in your control, what's outside of our control. And so as we go through the story of Joseph, I'm going to pause at different parts, and we're going to talk about the things that were in his control and the things that are outside of his control. So start with me in Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah and the father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them to his father. 
Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably about him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There, they, there we were, binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Let's pause there. Joseph cannot control the fact that he's daddy's favorite. Can't control it. Sometimes dads look at kids and they're like, You're my baby. You can do no wrong, right? You see this with multiple children, right? The first one has things together a lot. Why? Because mom and dad were like, they're paranoid, they're strict, that you can't do this and things, right? Second one, they kind of ease up a little bit. By the third one, they get away with all kinds of things, right? Because, oh, you're the baby. Don't judge my son by this. But you see this all around. Joseph can't control the fact that his dad loves him in a way that outshines his brothers. Joseph cannot control the fact that his dad gives him a coat of many colors. Now, color was very expensive to have, especially purples, because those were signifying royalty. And so a coat of many color would have taken a lot of time, a lot of dye, and he would have to pour a lot of wealth in. And so, in a society where the youngest should get nothing, he gets this extremely expensive garment that's shoved in the face of all of his other brothers. He can't control this. Then Joseph has some dreams from God, showing him that he is going to be head and shoulders above his brothers, even above his dad. He can't control this. Joseph can only control one thing, what he does after that. He can control what he tells his brothers. Now, in these dreams, Joseph doesn't say, and God told me to tell you, you are all going to serve me. God didn't say that. Nor did God say, tell your dad you're going to serve me too. Can't control that. You can control that, sorry. You can control the fact that you are going to go out and tell people what you've seen and how you tell people what you've seen. But Joseph couldn't control the circumstances around him. Now fast forward to verse 12 with me. Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died, and Judah was comforted and went to the sheep share. Oh, I'm sorry. Stop there. I'm not going to that, that uh, part of this story. I'm sorry. Um... Apologize for that. I wrote down the wrong verse. Ah, sorry, 39 verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who'd taken him down there 
And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Pause there. Joseph, loved of his father, went out to be with his brothers, and his brothers who hated him threw him in a pit to die. And one brother who was, let's call him reasonable, said, let's not kill him, let's sell him into slavery. And so Joseph sold into slavery. And he's taken down to Egypt, and he's sold to a guy named Potiphar, and he goes into his house, and he's very successful. Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw the Lord was with him, that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in the sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of the house, and that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer of the house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the Lord and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and in the field. Fast forward down to the end of verse 6, where it says, Now Joseph was a handsome man in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said to him, Lie with me. But he refused and said, it, said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all the things he has to my hand. There is no greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke that Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me and his garment, left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he's brought me in to us a Hebrew to mock us. And he came to me to lie with me and cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice, cried out, and left his, he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So... She kept his garment with her until the master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. Stop. Joseph, let's just recount his life so far. Loved by his dad, daddy's baby hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, sold to a man in Egypt, lives a very faithful life to him till his wife comes and tries to lay with him. I won't explain that. Everybody understands. So much so that Joseph denies her that, and then she makes up this trumped-up story. Now let's go back and find out what Joseph has control over and what he doesn't. He can't control who he's sold to. Can't. It was a tragic thing. He can't control what goes on in the house around him. Here's what he can control. He can control being faithful to Potiphar. 
He can control doing the best job that he possibly can do. He can control being faithful to God in and through this whole process. And he can even control what he does and does not do. He cannot control the injustice. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciousness, and shouts in our suffering. It is his megaphone to a sleeping world. And it is his megaphone in these unjust situations that is calling us back to him. Do you understand? Pain needs to be dealt with. It calls us to deal with it. Injustice calls us out and says, this isn't right. But we don't have control over the injustice all the time. You see injustice everywhere. I'll give you two examples. One hopefully makes you laugh, the other doesn't. One is the Rams and the Patriots are in the Super Bowl today. If that is not injustice, I don't know what is. <laughs> Let's get that little rant out because look back at the footage, it was pass interference. Let's just go move on. <laughs> That's injustice. But I can't control that. I can't control that the Patriots are in for like the fifth year straight. And Tom Brady's like 65 years old and is still playing. <laughs> I can't control that. I can control what I do about it. I can enjoy the day with my family and friends. I can eat a ridiculous amount of calories and things that are bad for me and enjoy a day that's, you know, one of our national holidays. I can control those things. I cannot let it affect me. Sorry, I, it's hard to say this. <laughs> I cannot let it affect me if the page, Patriots win today. <laughs> I cannot let it affect me. I can't control what actually happens during the game. I can't control who gets cancer and who doesn't. I can't control who gets sick and who doesn't. I can't control it when tsunamis wash away entire towns and villages. I cannot control that. And if I search deep down and look for the injustice of it all, I cry out, why, why, why? But what can I control? I can control going to the hospital and holding someone's hand. I can control my prayers for them. I can control going to a disaster area to help those in need. But I can't control the circumstances around me. When we see injustice, to cry out to the injustice is just bringing us closer to God. It's what we do after that we actually can control. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 4. After Joseph is 4D, 1. <laughs> wow, pray with me. Pray for me, please. I am. I, it was that statement about the patriots that got me all messed up inside. Let me... 41, after Joseph is runs out of the house naked as a jaybird because he's not going to be committing adultery with Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife reports all these lies to him. He's 
thrown in prison. Now, let's get a picture of what prison actually is in old-time Egypt, okay? By our standards today, that is cruelty to humans. We don't treat animals like they treated those people down there. We don't. It's, it was nasty. It was horrible. You were lucky if you got fed, right? If you've seen some of these old, old movies about people in dungeons and things chained up against the wall, very similar. It was a horrible, horrible place. And Joseph didn't deserve to be there. He didn't. And so Joseph had two options. He could sit there in prison look around and wail all day, cry out to God and say, God, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. It's not fair. He could just give up on God and say, because let's get real at this point, there's a lot of people that would say, this is enough. I can't take anymore. Joseph can't control his situation, but he can control what he can do in the situation. So he meets two people. He meets a butler and a baker. And Joseph is so faithful to the guards that he puts him in charge of the whole prison because Joseph can control his own actions. And when he does that and he's faithful, the more and more God builds him up and blesses what he does. And he meets two people in there. And when he meets them, they have, they have dreams and they tell Joseph their dreams. And then he tells the butler, he says, behold, in my dream, a vine was before me. Or sorry, the butler tells Joseph, my dream, a vine was before me. And it was the vine were three branches. And it was, though it budded and the blossoms shot forth and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are freed three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up by your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. He interprets the dream for this man. And three days later... Pharaoh reaches down back into the prison, brings up this butler, restores him back to his place. Another guy has a dream. Doesn't exactly get the same interpretation because Joseph says, in three days, you are actually going to die. And he asks this butler that's going to be restored one thing. Don't forget about me. Please don't forget about me. I'm wasting away in prison, right? It's unjust that I'm here. Don't forget about me. Chapter 41. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came, out, came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat. They fed him in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the river with the other cows in the bank of the river. And the ugly cows ate up the seven fine cows and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second one and has a dream similar. 
And Pharaoh told them his dreams, and there was no one that could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then, verse 9 says, that the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened, he restored me to the office, and he hanged him. Two full years. Joseph sits in prison, rotting away. What justice is that? Where's the fairness in that? What can Joseph do to control that? There's no court. Like, he's, he can't petition another higher court. It's Pharaoh. He's it. He can't talk to the guard and be like, don't you understand? Here's my situation. This lady lied and I'm down here unjustly. And then I told these guys their dreams. One went back to Pharaoh and he was supposed to remember me, but he didn't. Could you go to Pharaoh? There's none of that. All he can do is be faithful in the situation that he has. All he can control is how he reacts to the situations around him. And so for two full years in this injustice, Joseph has to remain. But after that, when Pharaoh has a dream, Pharaoh sends for him and brings him up. Now Joseph had some options at this time. He's brought before Pharaoh in this court. Probably the butlers there are like, this is the guy that, that showed me. He, he told me this dream. Look, Joseph could have been like, this guy is full of it. He could slander him. He could, I, seriously, how big of a temptation would that be at that point? You forgot about me for two years, and I did this for you? Joseph doesn't do that. He tells Pharaoh, there's a famine coming, and we, what we have to do is prepare for it. There's going to be seven years of feast and seven years of famine, and we've got to put all of these things there. And because of that, Pharaoh makes him captain everything in Egypt, second in command only to Pharaoh, to pull out the plan and enact what he should be doing to save the entire country. At this point, we're done with Joseph's fall. And can you think about that fall? That's epic. He went from the right-hand loved son of his father with God showing him his brothers are going to bow down to him in this amazingness, down to wrongly accused and imprisoned in Egypt as a slave. With most of that outside of his control. But through that, he enacted on the things and he was faithful in the things that were in his control. Now, the story switches. Suddenly and dramatically, Joseph rises to power. No longer does he have to petition someone to get anything done. He's in charge of everything. No longer 
Is he afraid of anyone else in Egypt? No longer does he have to fear what's going to happen to him on a daily basis. He's got a plan. He knows what God is going to be doing. He knows how he can be faithful to it, and he acts accordingly. So for seven years, he, he puts grain away, puts cows away. He has this great financial plan. And in the end, Pharaoh owns like all of Egypt financially. It's crazy what he does. And the famine comes and hits the land. And all around Egypt, people are dying and starving. But in Egypt, everybody's got food. And way, 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 way back in Canaan, where they didn't prepare for this famine, where they didn't prepare for this, Joseph's brothers and dad are starving and they hear about Egypt, how well prepared they were, how awesome they've got it, and Joseph's dad sends his brothers down to him. And they didn't know where, who Joseph was. They didn't know that Joseph was alive. But they just sent him to try to buy some grain. And so they come down to Egypt. They come down and they bring everything they've got and they, they lay it before this guy, this, this Egyptian that's in charge of everything. They say, can we just buy some grain? And lo and behold, the guy that they sold into slavery, the guy that they were going to kill, that they probably haven't even thought of in 20 years, is the very same person who can control their life or death. Now, there are not very many people who can look back on the injustices of their life and they can pinpoint some people out of it and have an opportunity to absolutely enact revenge on them. You may have had these entertaining thoughts in your head. You may have known some people that slighted you, that hurt you, that did some things against you, and you may have plotted on what you could do to get back at them. Because man, you know that's going to feel good. And at this point, Joseph's got to be sitting on a throne with all the power in the world, looking at his brothers who come there that wanted to murder him and kill him and have caused all of this pain in his life and how easy of it would have been to snap his fingers and end them all. In a moment. But he doesn't do that. You see, Joseph can control way more in his power than he could in his weakness. But in his weakness, he controlled what he could, which was himself. So in his power, he knows that he, control, he can control what he can, which is himself. When Joseph's situation was horrible and unjust, he could only control himself. And when Joseph's situation was favorable, listen, he could only control himself. In all of our situations, in all of our lives, in everything that we do, there are things that we can control and that we cannot control. There are things that are just and unjust that will happen to us. There are things that are painful and are great. There are people that will come against you. There are people that will hurt you. There are things that will hurt you. There's all kinds of stuff in there. In all of that, you can only control yourself. But we get into trouble because we want more. We want to control more. 
We want to have our hands all over all kinds of things. We want to make things turn out in our own favor. If you, if you think back to Genesis in the very, very beginning, God creates all this amazing things. He creates the, the stars and the heavens and the earth and, and Eden and all of the animals and everything. And he puts Adam and Eve in there and there, he gives them dominion over everything. And what happens? The one thing that they can't have, they say, I really want control over that thing. I want control over that situation. I want control to know exactly what God is like and be like him. And then the one thing that they can, can't control, they take into their hands and mess it up. And we do this continually, all the time. We want to control more than we actually can, so we put our grubby little hands all over it and mess it up. And this is what causes the greatest grief in our life. Because instead of sitting down and trying to find what we need to know in it, what God's trying to tell us in it, what he may be trying to bring us to because of it, we look at the situation and say, why and what could I have done to control that? When so often you can't do anything to control it. In fact, Jesus says that you cannot turn one of your hairs white or gray. Now, we can dye your hair, but it's just a farce. It's just a lie. And I did look in the mirror the other day, and I had a gray hair, and it just totally messed me up. And I know there's only more to come. But we can't control it. So... What do we do? Do we just sit down there and accept the situation? Just sit down there and say, you know what? That's just life. Bad things just happen. Unjustice is everywhere. What are you going to do? You know? Just brush it off. That's not exactly what Jesus did. The way you break free from this is when just injustice happens, when pain happens, and you want control over this, you go to the one who felt it and lived with it and endured it perfectly. Listen, Jesus is the one person who could control both sides. He could control his situation and how he acted in it. And instead of changing the situation when he went to the cross, instead of changing the persecution that came against him, he endured it perfectly for your sake. And he endured it perfectly so that right now, as you're sitting in a place where you wish you could control the bad things and the nastiness and the injustice and all the pain in your life, and you wish you could just snap your fingers and change it, he did all that so that you could go to him and he could tell you, I know how it feels. And I just want to be with you and sit with you. I know it's not fair, but I will be here for you. When you're prideful, <laughs> when you feel like you've got it all together, where everything's really great, like Joseph on his rise to power, where everything's amazing, and now his enemies are literally at his feet, you go to the one <laughs> who literally holds everything you see around you together 
by just speaking. Because he will lower your pride to a place of saying, you are all powerful and I'm not. And you start to release the control that you have. When you're in fear, I think that might be the worst one. When you're afraid. When you're afraid of what's going to happen. When you're afraid of what may happen to you. When you're afraid of what your actions might do to other people. Where do you go? How do you control that? You go to the one who quite literally walked through hell for you. You see, the truth of this is, is that we can only control what we do. We can con only control our actions. We can only control how we react to things. We can only control what we can control. And the things that we can't control that we fear, Jesus came and died and went all through that so that when you fear it, you can look to him and say, yeah, it's uncertain, but I know who's certain about it. Yeah, it's scary, but I know someone who went through that and will walk with me through it. It's only in those times and only when you go to him can you finally break free of this control. So back to the beginning of what I was saying. This isn't an instant remedy. I don't have a magical injection to stick in your arm and you will automatically not be afraid and you will automatically not want to control the things you can't control anymore. I can't do that. It's a daily remedy. Just like medicine you have to take every day, you have to take this every day. You have to continually go back to the cross. You have to continually bring the things that you can't control to him. You have to continually say, God, I can't control this, but I really, really want to, and bring it to him. You have to bring your fears to him. You have to bring your pride to him. You have to bring everything to him. That's what makes this prayer so great. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. In that prayer is contained what you need to release control of what you can't. Accept the things that only God can change. Have courage to change yourself and know which is which. Let's pray. Father, in these hard things that we so often struggle with, that we want to snap our fingers and make go away, that we want to control, Lord, I, I ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us endure, that you would help us go through, and that you would give us the courage to obey in the midst of any trial and obey in the midst of any pride we may have. We lift these things up and we pray in your name, Jesus. And every heart said, Amen.